and welcome everyone to Link to the Cast, episode 142. On the show this week, Death Stranding is out this year, and if anything, we have less of a clue what that game's about. Sexual assault claims surfaces against a former Rockstar exec. Square Enix to finally unveil their Avengers game. And in our book club this week, I'm a squid now, I'm a kid now, it's Splatoon. Let's start the program. This is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere good podcasts are sold. Also, follow us at Link to the Cast on the Tweet Machine. I'm your party host, returning to the program, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined by my faithful co-host. First, he is the wild child, Mark Robinson. (laughs) I forget that I have that nickname sometimes, and usually (laughs) you bring it up at the times I'm feeling not at my wildest, which would be right now. Um, but you're, you're childist, though. Uh, no, no, I'm at my mildest right now. Um, <laughs> Can you reintroduce him as the mild child? <laughs> I would reckon, though, I would reckon, uh, Jack... The mild child is absolutely sticking. <laughs> I would reckon, considering the events of last night, that you're feeling particularly wild right now, Jack. Listen, um, I mean, Dave, do you want to introduce me formally? <laughs> I will. The Roman reigns of audio, the... The Marcus Alonso of audio, the <laughs> soon-to-be-departed Eden Hazard of audio. It's Jack Lazell, European champion. <laughs> listen, guys, listen. Four once, I'm not going to be mentioning any football. Four once, I'm not going to mention it. Just saying. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Riding on the crest of a wave, indeed. Uh, well, we know how your week has been, Jack, so I think we'll what? shoot uh, <laughs> Mark straight away. What have you been up to, pal? Uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, not a whole hell of a lot. Um, <laughs> he really is mild, child. I, uh, yeah, I've, Mike, uh, I love it. I saw some red pandas the other day. Red pandas. Nice. You know, red pandas were a really underrated animal, you know? Like, yeah, you think... You think of a cute animal, and you don't go to red pandas right away. And it's probably because when you think of a panda, you think of like a normal panda. And obviously, because red pandas, the <coughs> geographically, they're only really around the Himalaya, Himalayan, Himalaya area. Um, so you won't immediately go to them. But red pandas, they're a good animal. Yeah, uh, they remind me very much of like you know if they if the someone in the zoo had somehow behind the scenes developed the machine from the fly. Uh, and they were trying to send a panda across to the the corresponding other machine, and somehow a fox ran in at the last second. Yeah, I mean, my main point, that was a really elegant way of, my main point is, I just look at a red panda, and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's going on here. Like, (laughs) (laughs) what are you? It's got like this picture just jacked, like, on his knees in the zoo, pounding the ground. What God hath wrought? It's just don't understand red pandas. There's like a little bit of a fox, a little bit of a raccoon, a little bit of some sort of bear going on. There's a lot going on there. I I just don't understand it. What is it? Why is it here? What does it want from us? I don't get it. But yeah, red pandas. That was it. Dublin Zoo is a good zoo. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty good. It's I like the layout of it. You know, it's it has I think it's like the right length of zoo. Like it's not. 
the smallest zoo you'll ever go to, but also it's not the kind of zoo where you need to set up base camp and make for the, the end of the circuit in the evening. Yeah, but I like as well, like, you go towards the back of the zoo and then suddenly you're in the African savanna that just kind of opens up out of nowhere. And you're like, oh, this is here. And just some yeah. giraffes just hanging around. It's it's a good zoo. Um, is the, is the Asian jungle open yet? That was under construction the last time mm, I was there. Uh, no, they. Well, I know they're constructing something to do with uh, some wolves at the moment. Uh, they've got within the next month or two. Um, but I know they have uh, like they have like the massive areas for the the monkeys to hang around, and they have this kind of one bit where um, one of the the uh, monkey sections it actually kind of goes across the park like where the, the people are walking and the the monkeys can actually kind of climb up the pillar and then walk across this kind of rope bridge um which seems pretty i don't know i'm not sure i want to be standing underneath that for any long period of time um but yeah that was good that was pretty much my weekend and i'm from next wednesday i have a week off uh, which i don't have anything planned for i'm going to see the cure for the first time which i am excited Ooh. about Although I'm not sure Robert Smith at this age in the sun, well, he kind of looks like a melted goth anyway, uh, so he can't look any worse than he already does. Just a small hairy puddle. Yeah. Um, you also forgot to mention the main event of Annie's zoo visit, and that's the penguins. Yeah, see, they ain't got a lot of penguins. Oh, look, you're about to oh, penguins what, now. I'm, I'm No, I, trust me, Dave, you know me. I'm a fan of a penguin. But the penguins they've got there, they're not... They're not, you know, like a big kind of emperor penguin. And I think as well, uh, uh, Edinburgh Zoo, they have like this whole area. Like it's basically like a beach party for penguins. And the the, the zoo, uh, Dublin Zoo, doesn't have really kind of a big thing going on with the penguins. And for some random reason, there was a peacock in there as well. So oh. I'm not sure what that was about. Uh, I also you like... You were looking at penguins and you weren't just <laughs> in a sort of aviary by accident <laughs> i i really like have you been to photo island no Mark? what the hell's that so photo island is a zoo that's down in cork it's it's on its own little island um and a lot not not all animals but uh like a bunch of the the kind of friendly animals are just walking around like loose oh, they it's, have that it's on an island there. So like there's there's peacocks wandering around loose and there's there is one point where myself and Emma kind of walked off the beaten track and we got surrounded by wallabies, <laughs> as you do. Did um, you escape in their pouches? If only. Um, but <laughs> and yeah, they realized that's... they were full of mucus. Ne- next time you are down south in Cork Market, it would be worth going to see. You can get a train out there from the city, as far as I know. Like I, you I still have yet. I've still yet to venture down south to Cork. So. Ah, oh, mate. We actually should we actually should look at the counties you've been to now that I've got my my car back on the road. This could be a thing that we will do. It's most of the south that I haven't done, and uh, like yeah, there's some nice stuff down there, and and Donegal, but I mean, I don't really yeah, like all that's up, all that's up there is Patrick. Yeah, that's... yeah, yeah. He's been to Ennis of all places. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, friend fine, of the sh- fine country out there. Friend of the show, Dylan's from there, so. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I I like to do the whole of, of the south and and I've kind of like uh, vaguely had a, a an encounter with the Wild Atlantic Way, but I would certainly like to do kind of like the whole of the Wild Atlantic Way down to the uh, the uh, what's the circle called the Ring of Cork, the Ring of Kerry, what the hell's it called? Galway Bay. No, no, it's down like in the Kerry yes, area. The, it's, it's the Ring of Kerry. I was, 
<laughs> I was just going to see if I if I just let you some rope there, how often. <laughs> <laughs> how much yeah. further away you would get no, from Ring of Kerry. I'm pretty sure it's around like the Ring of Kerry, around that sort of Yeah, yeah. It's like language. it's a scenic driving route. It's yeah. like it's like nearly two hundred kilometers, isn't it, or something I, like that? It's something ridiculous. Like you can drive from Dublin to Cork is about the same distance as I think like driving around the circle. So Yeah, it goes around like Killarney and Oh, there's a really funny name of a town on that route. It's like Tabakari. It's it's Sneem. Sneem. S N W E M Sneem. I'm just looking at it here. Sneem. I, I would also imagine you, you also get you, you also get to see Skellig Michael on that route, according to this. I'd also where, imagine where, it's where they, the they most stuff in Star Wars. Where the most kind of incomprehensible attempts at uh, speaking English uh, would be in that kind of vague area as well. Uh, yeah, you're not too far off the uh, the Gaeltuck there, um, in in Kerry. And yeah, it is like it's it's very the Cork and Kerry accents are fairly imperceptible to someone without an ear for them. They go about a hundred a hundred miles an hour and that's sound, fast bender country. Yeah. Like sound like somebody kicking a bag of trumpets kinda. Um, Excellent analogy. Jack, European conquest aside, how has your week been? Yeah, mate. Not bad, not bad. It's, it, it's all good. I can't complain. Seen a couple of movies uh, in in my day off. Went went to Flight Club in London, which I don't know if either of you two are familiar with. No, I'm not. So I, Flight Club is an electronic darts game, which is really cool. So you get a dartboard, and the darts are like they've got some sort of microchip in them. So you have different games that you can play. So even if you're like pretty shit at darts, like everyone can still get involved. Uh, and that was a good time. And yeah, I saw Aladdin, uh, Secret Life of Pets 2, and Rocket Man uh, as the three movies that I've seen. And I'm I'm going to see Booksmart. I want to see Booksmart so bad. And movie of all movies, King of All Kings, the Godzilla movie. Absolute unit. The biggest of the units. Looking at the size of those lads in IMAX 3D or whatever it's going to be as I see it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Wait. Tomorrow as we're recording have this. You, have you just been sleeping in the cinema for the past week? Hey, I've got an unlimited card, so I can yeah. pretty much do what I like. Sure. Secret so Life I... of Pets is 80 minutes long, like, and have it is you... a really fun 80 minutes. Yeah, I got to see that in an advanced screening a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of those like proper advanced screenings where they take the phone off you. <laughs> Really? Before you wow. go in, yeah, yeah, we knew a person who knew a person who had a spare ticket. Um, so yeah, we went to see that, and that that was fun. Um, I also saw Rocket Man, which I enjoyed greatly. Um, I was not. I I don't think it's very abundantly clear by the trailers that it's it's a musical. Like it's not a biopic with the songs in it. It's a full fucking musical. When he first started singing, I was like, wait. Oh, we're doing this. Are we really doing this? Because whenever people start singing instead of talking, I get really uncomfortable. You know, in certain things that you that most other people just accept as a as a trope of life, like it will make you uncomfortable for no apparent reason. But musicals, when people just start bursting out in song in the middle of speech, like it freaks me out. It's why I don't watch many movies from the past because there always tends to be a big musical number out of nowhere, and I'm like, ah. Oh. How are you with the theatre then? Terrible. I don't really go to the theater. 
I can go I can go see it because I find the whole thing so ridiculous that if it's comedy, so you've got like Book of Mormon or something that is really just there for to make you laugh, not as a musical, or like the South Park movie. Any any musical movie that is made to make you laugh rather than to be serious, I can I can get on board with. But yeah. Like remember um Oh, what was the film with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone? La La Land. La La Land. La La Land, right. The first scene of that is a bunch of people parked on a freeway going like, oh, LA is so fantastic. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, I, I was so uncomfortable. I was with him, <laughs> with my ex-girlfriend in there. I almost got up and walked out because it was just... <laughs> It tripped me out. I was like, no, this. if the whole movie That's, is like this, this I is, can't This is fascinating. Trigger. This I, is really like... An, I, it, I never knew this about you, Jack. In the, an insight to the neuroses of Jack. And this is funny. If you had just said this to me, because we talked about this movie together, like on, on, on Messenger, and you were saying how much more you preferred Bohemian Rhapsody, if you had just explained this, I would have completely understood why. <laughs> I know. And I do like that. I did really like Rocket Man. And the thing is, because they're Elton John songs, they're songs I know, it kind of, it takes the edge off of it a bit. Like, I've seen the Queen musical as well. The so, story like, Muppet movies must bother you. Yes, they do. <sighs> what I like I as well is you're a man who, you know, very much enjoys music and a man who very much enjoys films. But yet, when you put these two together, there's just this oil, some oil and water combination that just doesn't work with you. This is just... Trust me. This yeah. is the, blowing the my mind. I know. This I, is I, like this is like our friend Mark, our, our friend Dan, who uh, can't mix meats. I mean, that's just—he's just a garbage he, human being. Yeah. Like you he can't—he can't have a meal that on the same plate two different meats exist, and that like something as simple as bacon on a burger, he just nopes the fuck out of situations like that. That's crazy. He can't do it, even if it's two types of meat from the same animal. Like say, if it's like bacon and sausage, he will separate them as much as possible and eat one then the other. That reminds he... me, Mark, you're a trashman, right? <laughs> Occasionally. Right, so M&S have just brought out a burger called the Daddy of All Burgers, and it's like, I mean, pounds of meat. Are you like... getting like, are you getting points on this thing? Because <laughs> you tried to sell me on this same burger. Dude, no, I just, need, I just need someone else to eat it. Like, I just need someone else to see the sheer volume of this thing. Okay, but you're telling the person who's been a vegetarian for six months, so... Oh, I keep forgetting you're a vegetarian. <laughs> Oh my god. Like, I would understand more if you told me you were Mkhitaryan rather than a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. that's Sorry, but, mate, I just I spent so much of my youth watching you just devour meats in the myriad of forms that I, yeah. I, I'm get there. I will remember you were a vegetarian at some point. Um, I'm trying Thanks for that. I'm I think, like, there's not. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing really I like apart from going to see like a few films and stuff that I've I've necessarily done this week. I don't think. Um, but then like with work and everything, my brain has kind of just melted, so I can't really think of anything. But I will drop a, a quick wreck for a, a new YouTube channel. I've started to binge. Um and this given recent revelations of one Jack Lazell, this may be slightly less up your street than I thought it was gonna be. Um, but it's a YouTube channel called Defunct Land. Right. And they do like 30 to 45 minute documentaries on the story behind like closed down theme parks or like ambitious Disney projects for a ride that never worked or something like that. Like there's a big documentary on, say, 
um, the Hong Kong Disneyland. There's one on Disneyland in Japan. There's one on um, Nickelodeon's theme park that they tried to get off the ground. Um, there's one on the, the whole year of the 30th anniversary of Disneyland where they were going to have the, the year after be a takeover by the Muppets because they were they had nearly Disney had nearly bought the Muppets while Jim Henson was still alive and his death kind of knocked that deal back several years um, but they were kind of planning that after we did this exhaustive year of Disney celebrations that we were going to have the park taken over by the Muppets for a whole year so it goes into all the plans around that and stuff uh, and the reason it came into my head, the reason it came across my field of view is because I'm a big fan of the Muppets and they have just done a kind of like a spin-off mini-series and it's like a six-part series. I think they're releasing one every week uh, about like the life and history and cultural significance of Jim Henson, Sesame Street, the Muppets and all that sort of stuff. It's 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 proper fucking fascinating. Um, couldn't recommend it highly enough. Um, shall we actually get on the point to talk about video games for once? Let's do it. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Jack, you got shit all by the looks of it here on the list. <laughs> Like, so I asked Mark while you were uh, away briefly if Tinder counts as a video game, and apparently he said no. Uh, so, you know, chirps and bear girls, as they would say in these parts, is, is no game. But uh, I have still been playing Mini Metro, which was my what I'm playing last week, and it is uh, frightfully addictive, sir. So, yeah, I don't need to go over old ground, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's very intense, uh, like, when you just lose yourself in trying to get like an entire network of people from one point to another point uh, matching them up to shape star stations and stuff and it's ironic because i've been playing it on the tube so like someone walked up to me the other day and they looked at what they thought was a tube map but was actually just me building my own version of a tube map while on the tube which is pretty tragic <laughs> on reflection but uh yeah, it's a very addictive game. Dave, have you ever seen anything of Mini Metro yourself? No, I because I'm not a big mobile guy. Um, oh, it's available as... on the Switch. That's oh, where I downloaded it first. Ah. But then when I realized I could get it on my uh, iPhone as well, I was like, well, I can play this on the way to work as well. Yeah. Even better. Like, there's no room on the tube to play a Switch, unfortunately. That's so, true. Yeah. There's no there's no room for much except like feeling sad and compressed on the switch or on the <laughs> on the tube. True. Whether you have a switch or not. Um Mark, what do you got for me? Uh so I'm still playing Bastion, uh like Jack. Uh this is the game I was talking about last week. And just kind of more of, of the same of, of what I was talking about last week, um just in terms of, you know, the presentation of it. Uh it's it's just a really pretty game and the the narration that you get throughout uh just has a real kind of uh epic tone to it i guess um and i've picked up some more weapons and there's kind of a, a nice variety uh but you can't kind of change weapons of the fly so you have a loadout that you kind of stick to unless you can find a, an armory throughout a uh throughout the level that you're in um, but you have like a world map so you drop into specific levels and there's also like these uh, kind of gauntlets or tests that you do with each weapon to, to 
you know, kind of get yourself up to speed with it. So kind of more of the same, but enjoying it. Again, I like Jack, I don't know if Bastion's a game that you ever came to first time around. Um, but again, I've been playing this on the Switch as well. Jack? That was for you, Dave, not Jack. Oh, sorry, sorry. You broke up there. Okay. Now, uh, I have not played. I, I think I got it. Was it a PS Plus game at some point, I wonder? Uh, or was it just really cheap in a sale? I feel like I do have Bastion in my library. And with those games, what's the name? What are the... They did Pyre as well, didn't they? Uh, Supergiant Games. Yeah, yeah, I believe And Transistor. So. Yes, yes, they did. Yeah, so like aesthetically their games really appeal to me um but i've never actually sat down and properly played one um but but it sounds like it sounds like maybe i should uh possibly i i don't know it's so it's like an isometric uh kind of an action adventure role-playing game the combat isn't particularly deep um so i, I it is the kind of game that um, I do think after a few hours you've kind of seen what it has to offer and really the thing that keeps you uh, sticking around is just the kind of general presentation of it. So, and like story-wise, it, it it doesn't have like much going for it. So I don't think it's saying that if you have it on sale, I'd say definitely if you, if you purchased it and you have it um, to at least kind of get a feel for what they're going for. Because it does this really cool thing where, um, you know, all the levels are basically on like skyways. Uh, and as you walk forward, the, the, the level kind of creates itself, the road ahead of you creates itself, and the road behind you will uh, disappear and kind of fall apart, and it can, you can kind of go back and forth, and it, it will do that. Um, so it's a game that very much has the presentation going for it, which I think is what Supergiant were trying to hang their heads on, um, and I don't know if that tips over into, into uh, Pyre, um, or if that will be the case for like Hades when they... Um, gets kind of properly released so but it, it's worth to at least have a look at it if you have it in some form anyway mm. and again on uh, switch so you know everything's great on switch indeed um so <laughs> the two games i've been playing um i'll talk about rage 2 first um so that came out uh, a couple of weeks ago now, Bethesda game that seems to have like the the fingerprints of a few internal studios from Bethesda on it. I know id were heavily involved in it. Um, Avalanche, who did the Mad Max game, that was kind of like my ham sandwich keen award uh, nominee for that year. Uh, they did that, and that was a game that had like the story was very blur but the game looked great and the, the car combat and the hand to hand combat was there seems to be major performance issues with the game now i'm playing it on ps4 pro so i haven't noticed it as much i've noticed a couple of like hitches when i'm in menus sometimes so you know it's a proper kind of like when it's not something like a texture pop or something that when the menus are having trouble that they're like there is something borked under the hood on that kind of game um but barry friend of the show barry murphy was telling me that like on kind of ps4 the standard ps4 it's considerably worse uh, which is a real shame because when i get down to play that game it just look it's not it's not blowing the doors off it's not reinventing the wheel but it's it really is a hell of a lot of fun uh, it is one of those kind of like 
like that Mad Max game, kind of like a Far Cry game in some ways, but with much tighter shooting, I feel like. It doesn't seem to have imported quite the the level of satisfaction or crunch to the, the car physics or the car combat in it, at least not that I've seen yet. Um, but it's a fun game to just go in and like blast some mutants with some cool fucked up weapons and um, you know, I've only just started to unlock stuff. Um, they're they're clearly borrowing a lot of kind of movement stuff and weapon stuff from other kind of popular games. Um, I know there's like an anti-grav grenade by the looks of it or something like that that looks pretty cool. Um, something you can do that very reminiscent of Titanfall to me, like a tap of L1 once you get an upgrade, kind of shifts you, like boosts you out of the way of a an incoming threat um the the kind of like the story is really inconsequential to me which is a little bit disappointing but the game Although is that largely fun. the case with the first rage as well yeah yeah um that is the case like definitely like if you're somebody who buys in there is stuff there for you but i i just don't feel that level of investment um that that i should feel with a game this big uh and a world that is quite well realized and there's a lot to do in it um and it's that kind of it's got that open world thing where like some of the side quests are going to be really fun to do no matter how many of them are there are like going in to clear out bandit nests and stuff like that there's some clever spins on it where like some of the bandit hideouts are literally they will take over a section of the road and create a giant elaborate roadblock all over it so you literally won't be able to get past it uh you will crash into it bail out of your car and then you'll have to kind of go up and around this whole structure rooting everybody out and shooting them um and then eventually lifting the barricade to pass through uh but then there are are other things that seem to be kind of like ah uh, you know rote open world kind of stuff like drag racing and and stuff like that but they're um yeah it's just kind of one of those it's if you're looking for a big dumb summer game it'll scratch that itch if in the autumn like black friday sales it comes down to about like 25 quid that would be an insane good price to hop on it at because there is plenty of content in there if you're looking for something like that so uh yeah, that's that's Rage 2. And then the other Dave, game I've been Dave, playing... Dave, I was going to ask, because yeah. it got that sort of Far Cry 5 thing from last year in that there's loads of stuff to do. Like, the combat and stuff is fun, but, like, there's literally shit all else to the game, like the story. And... Yeah, pretty much. It's kind of like there's the... the oh, Much like Far Cry, there's, like, the opening that sets the tenor of the story, and then it's kind of like, hey, go nuts. There are some vague directions it pushes you in to do story-related stuff. Uh, kind of like Far Cry, but yeah, it's it's very much that the story. We know the story isn't why you're here. Uh, we know it's just to to play in the world. So they don't really. Now it's not in the background as much as say like the ultimate. We know you don't give a fuck about the story game is just cause. Uh, it's not it's not quite that bad, but it is I'd say about the level of a of a Far Cry Five. There's literally as much story as there needs to be to thread this game together. Um, so don't be looking for it as your kind of narrative of the year by any stretch of the imagination. Do you know, I've I've always wondered going back to, because I've, I've been saying pretty much since um, I completed it that Breath of the Wild as, as an open world game has kind of ruined any other open world game uh, for me. And I do wonder though, because that game, you know, the, the storyline is non-existent, but if that was a game that came out for the first time, and uh, that emotional resonance and the uh, knowledge and nostalgic tinge to all of what 
you know, I've played pretty much every uh, Zelda game. If none of that existed, would I? Would it have the the same impact? Because that game it does hang its head on, hey, here's uh, an iPad, boom, right there. There's a volcano or there's a uh, a castle. Mm-hmm. Go head in that direction. Um, because any other game that is either you know the first in the series or in this case like Rage Two. Um, if it doesn't have anything in the way of, of story, it has to nail every other aspect of it completely. But then you do run into the issue of like, okay, well, what is the motivation for me doing anything? Uh, and yeah. a game like Just Calls works because it's like, <laughs> you have a grappling hook, make that connect with that and go and blow it up. And you mm. can kind of do that for a few hours and you're fine. I, I will say that even without the romance of our kind of attachment to the series, I think there is a lot to the the craft of that world in Zelda with the. Oh yeah, the I don't want to hang. Di- I don't want to sell it short that you know the actual open world yeah. of that game is incredible. The amount of different systems that are at play in there that creates kind of like interesting gameplay variations and and as well the there are open worlds and there are open worlds and the breath of the wild to me was always the open world that felt like it existed whether you were there or not whereas the likes of a just cause the likes of a far cry and and the likes of a rage 2 feels like we purpose built this playground for you here's a bunch of stuff go do whatever see you later mm. you know it, it feels a bit more haphazard um whereas i don't know things just sing in a way for for zelda for breath of the wild that i I don't think they do in your kind of -of run-of-the-mill open world experience um the the other game i have been playing and this is i'm sure mark has been dying for for me to give an update on the podcast in my absence uh cuphead (laughs) (laughs) yes we've definitely been getting live running commentary of you playing this game in our group chat over the past couple of weeks Screenshots yeah. and swear words <laughs> and celebrations and everything. Yeah, so like I love Cuphead. Cuphead hates me. Uh, it's probably the the nice way to sum all that up. Um, I am on. I I have somehow, in spite of it all, in spite of what I would consider my own level to be at these kind of games, I have somehow managed to get onto the third island. Uh, on Cuphead, which is a feat in and of itself I am extraordinarily proud of um, because it was around the end of the first island that I completely capitulated when I tried to play it on the Xbox. Um, Kind of, I had, I was, I think I was just around the end of the first island the last time I talked about it on the podcast. So just to kind of, uh, my kind of memories of the second island there were really like the, it's the second island I think you'd agree Mark that separates the wheat from the chaff because there are there there are some tough bosses in world one but uh, it's when you get to, to, to this world two that there are some proper like some of the most notorious bosses in the game show up yeah I mean the the only kind of real uh, tricky boss on the first island is the the frogs uh, they take a little while to yeah. deal with, and if you're <clears throat> if you don't get used to the flying mechanics, uh, the the zeppelin boss can be a little bit of a, tr- a struggle as well. But pretty much everything yeah. else on that first island is fine. As soon as you get onto that first, that second island, like you yeah. either end up going towards Bon Bon or you end up going towards the genie. And yeah. there actually is just <laughs> looking at that now. There there is no real easy. Uh, boss on like easy is a relative concept with Cuphead, but there is no even by Cuphead standards easy boss on Island Two. No, but they're I was, difficult I, I was for different to think, reasons I fe- as well. 
Yeah, yeah. The, the, it's not like the kind of just same. And none of them are, you know, with the exception of maybe one, none of them feel like they're kind of unfairly difficult. Um, Baroness von Bonbon is like an, an unbelievable design uh, for a boss battle. It's one of my favorites. Um, however, that jumping cupcake feels like one of the kind of, that's a little bit unfair, you know. With I it, will be the does... first to admit that I, if I see him appear, I will usually just start the the uh, game again or start the level again and hope that the RNG works in my favor and gives me a different cycle. So for anyone who doesn't know, the Bonbon, she has like six mini bosses that you will have to contend with. I, I think uh, it's five. I think it's five. Uh, it's five or six, but you only it's have to. Fi- deal... It's five, and then her final form yeah. herself. But you only have to deal with three, and so which yeah. three that you get is completely random each time. And yeah, whenever the, the cupcake appears, and definitely playing it on expert mode, I will just say, yeah, I'll just start this again. Yeah, you've got the cupcake that jumps at weird angles, and the the, the weird angles is one thing, but the fact that it leaves like at just a really ridiculous splash damage that it's it's hard to get away from uh is annoying there's like what other ones are there there's the gumball machine which is probably the easiest um the chocolate bar um the other one that's annoying is oh what's the one that fucking comes up and down in circles there's the big fuck off cone that does like a figure of a cone the the cone that, that that's a little bit annoying uh once you figure out there's also a gumball that follows you uh, and once you figure out that it's not on a on a path, it's following you, then it's a bit easier to deal with. Um, the you mentioned the genie there. The genie was that was tough. Um, that was really really tough. Um, Although I imagine not... with the genie, you were spending more time getting flashbacks to when I dealt with that the first time, and yeah. I think that was the first time you'd ever seen me get angry at a video game. Yeah, besides and Witness. It was... And uh, yeah, one thing that kind of like took the edge off that was that I had seen it before where a lot of these bosses I hadn't. I, I miss a lot of you playing uh, like the end of World 2 and the start of World 3. So I'm kind of flying blind at the moment. Um, but the one that can absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, fuck the fuck off is that dragon, uh, <laughs> which was the last. I think I think it's the last boss for most people just because it is the furthest away from your, your spawn point in that world. So he's usually the last boss you will tackle there. Um, yeah, he can fuck off royally, and and he is one that it it genuinely did feel a little bit unfair. Um, at some points, particularly in that second to last phase of his, for those little fireballs, uh, jumping up. Um. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm on to world three now. Which one have you done first? I have, Which boss so have you done first? I I I did the Captain Briny Beard. Which was actually quite like as compared to some of the bosses in World Two, wasn't that bad at all. Um, I think it was. I think it only took me two attempts in which I got to his final phase before I beat him. Like it was more than two attempts total, but it was the second time I got to his final phase that I put him away. Yeah, for some reason um, he took me a while, and because uh, he's just a, the thing he's, that really he's an throws you off. Yeah, that's the thing that really throws you off is like the middle stretch on that boss is disproportionately long uh, compared to bosses that precede him. And that kind of throws me off a little bit. Um, So now that the two that I have the options to or sorry, is there two or three bosses I can access right now? No, there's two. You can do the B. She's available. 
I can do the B and then I can do Calamaria, which I, I know by reputation is one of the toughest bosses in the game. Wait, which one's, um, she's which one's that? The mermaid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she, I know the yeah. ones that are going to absolutely suck on this world for sure are the mermaid and the robot. Um, those are the ones that their reputation by far precedes them. Um, one thing I actually, I remember watching you do it and thinking, oh, I'm never going to get like get good at these. Um, the mausoleums. Oh, the mausoleums, are actually, are, they're easy. They're easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once Because I remember you struggled with the first one at first because you weren't used to that parry slap mechanic. Yeah. But once you do get used to it, and I think that also, if you get good at the, the, the parry slap mechanic, that makes Captain Briny Beard much easier because he's firing out those uh, yellow, and perp- uh, yellow and pink gumballs through the whole fight. So if you're good at chaining together parry slaps, you're going to end up filling your super meter over and over again in that fight and making it uh, much quicker. It does go um, without saying that, like, doing the parry slaps, because it... The game does give you the incentive to do the parry slaps because you have the uh, like scorecard that you get at the end, and it's like three parry slaps per level. Um, yeah. And the way that the the boss designs the designs of the the bosses um, require you to do parry slaps are very varied uh, throughout. And yeah, like for the the pirate uh, boss, um, those parry slaps that you can a constant throughout and the the advantage of doing the parry slaps as well is that it does charge up your super meter as well um yeah so... i think i think if that if if that hadn't if there wasn't that constant stream of those gumballs i think that um it would have been so fucking tough it would have been so like even more of an endurance run than it was um so so thankfully that was in there but Hey, I never thought I'd say this. Well, I knew I always said it on an aesthetic and musical level. But in spite of how it sounds when I'm in that group chat with you guys, I love Cuphead. Hey! I I, I really love this game. Am I justified Um, in it being my 2017 game of the year? Um, yeah, like I said to you, I think I would have, like, it finished third in a very competitive year. But in any other year, I probably would have helped you push it right towards the top. Um, I, yeah, I fucking love the game. Um and over what, I, over what years though would would we have said that that was the game of the year? Well, this is the thing we've had the the game of the year since we started have been incredibly tough. What was it? The first year was Metal Gear Solid and The Witcher. The second oh, year was yeah. Doom and Hitman. Then it was uh, Super Mario, Mario Odyssey Maker. and Breath of the Wild, which yeah. was the year that Cuphead oh, yeah. was there. Um, and then what was last year? What a Spider Man eventually won out over God of War. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, probably last year would have been the best chance. Yeah, yeah. That's a fair point. I just I do think that we the thing with Cuphead is it's such a just kind of streamlined like all of the the fat is trimmed off and you know I know some people were disappointed when it came out that it's just it's a boss rush, um, but each of those bosses like just the the design and the creativity um and just the visual splendor and and the audio you know the game is just it's perfect for me what i find very funny is that like you would think looking at when you see somebody's checklist on that game that they're flying through the game that they're not really spending much time and the game isn't value for money like for instance baroness von bonbon there that i said that like you know variations that and it took so long. My my completion run where I finally beat Baroness von Bonbon took me one minute and twenty seven seconds. Or yeah. like, uh, <laughs> what's the, what's the what's the fucking dragon's name? Uh, Grim Matchstick, two minutes eleven seconds, and that was the toughest boss in the whole game so far. 
but it's just there's so much more to it and it feels like about 10 minutes when you're in the middle of it um yeah and that's the thing in terms of like i was just gonna satisfaction, say um if you ever watch uh, Mark Brown has a great video about boss design when it comes to, to Cuphead and his thing he always says it's like you don't beat those bosses is that you survive those bosses yeah and that's what it definitely feels like you're surviving but the um, um, the level of satisfaction that you get from that game because it's so challenging but generally speaking not in a punishing unfair unreasonable sort of way um the set level of satisfaction you get when you beat a boss is unreal. Um, like I nearly, who was it I beat? I think it was Bon Bon I beat when I was in work and I nearly punched clean through a table. Um, <laughs> when I finally beat the dragon in the middle of the night, I screamed so loud I woke everybody up here. Um, like I just, I could not contain my joy that I had finally downed that fucker and all of you were following me in an almost play-by-play fashion. And I just, that night that I did it, I just, I kind of started my session with this grim resolution. It's like, I'm not stopping until I beat this fucker. Um, and yeah, when I finally did, it, it was something else. Um, yeah, it's it's quite a game. Uh, I, I, I love it dearly, uh, in spite of how mean it is to me. Um, let's move on now, talk current stuff as we delve into the news. News on the mark. I'm feeling Mark Robinson is going to take a wee bit of a backseat, relatively speaking, in this first news story. I mean, this is... look, I have watched the trailer, <laughs> and I've always said that the work of Hideo Kojima does intrigue me. It's just it was wrapped up in a stealth game, and I don't care for stealth games. This is a weird fucking thing, and it's Kojima as fuck. I'm interested. Yeah, so the Death Stranding trailer, uh, eight minute long trailer, I believe it was, dropped, uh, I think, yesterday as we're recording this. Uh, I'm shooting straight to one Jack Lazell here. As a fellow Kojima fanboy, I think is fair to say of both of us, um, your, your thoughts on this trailer, this incredibly fucking weird and bizarre and unmistakably Hideo Kojima trailer. I mean, right up the top, the fact that there's a character called Die Hardman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure if it should be pronounced Die Hardman, like if it's just German. But that was... <laughs> Is that it was the, the... It means Die Hardman. Die Hardman, the... Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't have a single fucking clue what's going on, really. Uh, all I know is that Mads Mikkelsen is cool as fuck. Uh, the wilderness like environments that we've seen of you sort of wandering around with backpacks and stuff look absolutely breathtakingly incredible. Everything looks post-apocalyptic and this and is in glorious. The, this game. It's worth noting at this point. Sorry to cut across you, Jack. That the the game is made in the Horizon Zero Dawn engine and it shows. It does. It does show, but it looks like it's just notched it up to another level beyond that. It just. It's absolutely incredible what we're seeing here, um, but I don't really fucking know what the game is or what the game's about. It, it It's not evident at all. Every time there's a, a leaked footage or a trailer or anything from it, it's it becomes less and less apparent what the game is, because every time it feels like there's a different story going on. Kojima and, and, is the master of uh, like finding... Uh, finding the most out of context, huh? 
big kind of stuff to put together in a clip. Like I remember that when we originally saw that um that game that he tried to act like it was a separate game but turned out to be the the very first teaser for Metal Gear Solid 5 and that was when we saw the flaming whale. Yeah. And like and it still made no sense in the game, but it was yeah, it was it was peak Kojima and like uh I I also in terms of uh in terms of character names the character names in this like you said die hardman or d hardman is great that's that's one thing but then you look at kind of norman reedus who's your protagonist presumably who the fuck really knows um has a very normal name of sam porter bridges but then everybody else is like mads mickelson is cliff leia sedu is fragile margaret qualley is mama Guillermo del Toro, who I forgot was in this game, is playing Dead Man, and someone who I didn't know until this trailer was in the move in the in the game, Nicholas Winding Refn, as is Hartman. There, is there a more perfect person to be in a Kojima game than Guillermo del Toro? No, no. And well, and these names aren't any more ridiculous than some of the names we had in the Metal Gear Solid canon. Let's be honest. No. Revolver Shalashaska Ocelot. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's right on uh, par with that. The the biggest surprise for me coming out of this is the fact that the game is being... I can't being... believe you still remember its fucking middle name. <laughs> <laughs> that I forget. The biggest, surprise, me. the biggest surprise is the fact that this game is coming out this year, because I was not expecting that. I was thinking we were going to get uh, a trailer announcement at E3, and it'd be like, coming in 2020, uh, or 2020 at, at, the, at the earliest, at least. Yeah, PS5 um, launch title. But maybe, but they yeah. realised because the Sonic movie uh, got pushed back to 2020 that there was this big open slot at the end of the year, and like, <laughs> boom, we can do this. I am excited. I I already want this to be game of the year, and I don't know why. <laughs> Man, it's gonna be like that last two months of trying to get shit played and like reasonably close to beaten is gonna be fucking hectic. Uh, yeah, because in, yeah. like you. If this is as Kojima as I hope, this could be a contender for Game of the Year. And in around October, November, we're also getting Doom Eternal. I it, it makes me sad last year that I didn't get Hitman 2 really very well played before we did Game of the Year. Because much like the previous time that Hitman came out in four chapters, by the time it was like February, Hitman 2 was like my number two or something in Game of the Year list. So... Mm. Yeah, it is really stressful at the end trying to get everything and a fucking played. Pokemon game coming out as well. Yeah, yeah although I, 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 there's a small, there's a, there's a small possibility that may release after the window closes for Game of the Year this year, which would be honestly a fucking relief. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Yeah, November eighth, I believe it is. Uh, Death Stranding is out. Um, yeah. And it's just worth going to check out the trailer. We can't do it justice here. It's fucking bizarre. It's everything you want. Uh, and then, like, as, as a small aside, uh, because it's a video game existing in the world, Troy Baker is in it, and I really like his character model, and it looks pretty cool. Um, but all the character models really look pretty cool. Uh, and oh, I'm the, just the face excited. capture on Mad, Mads Mikkelsen is ridiculous. Like, someone showed a footage of him, like, doing all the movements and, like, little glimpses and stuff, and it... it it's one of the first times that genuine facial acting is is being replicated at that level and really effective in and, all of the scenes. I and think. more importantly, not in a David Cage game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Also, by the way, Lindsay Wagner's in it, the Bionic Woman. Wow. 
that's awesome but uh yeah um look forward to I, I, there's nothing else i can say just look forward to whatever the hell that is fuck knows uh, next up, there's a, a sexual assault claim surfacing against a former Rockstar exec. A former Rockstar employee has come forward and shared their story of how they were sexually assaulted by a member of the studio's top exec team. The incident, which occurred back in 2014, but has come to light now after a thorough Kotaku investigation involves uh, Geronimo Barrera, who was Rockstar's vice president of product development. He quietly left Rockstar after 20 years last, last December, but during his time at the company, he was feared by staff as a volatile boss, happy to dole out threats of firings and actual firings on a whim. But this new allegation, which he has denied and refused to speak further on, is something else. Um, designer Colin Bunshu was new to Rockstar when he says Barrera groped him in a nightclub during a work night out. Uh, speaking to Kotaku, he said he was groped twice by Barrera. He then left to Barrera's dismay. The incident was witnessed by colleagues and immediately reported to Rockstar's HR department. But while Rockstar HR investigated the claim, it was eventually dismissed. Despite apparent confusion over Barrera first appearing to suggest he did not remember the incident, then later refuting it happened outright. No other witnesses came forward. Um, I don't know what else to say about this, really, except that the uh, the Konami Corner Award category may have to be its own individual episode of the program this year. Oh, God. Yeah, we're having a banner year. Yeah. We really are. Uh, it is suspicious the fact that he um, quietly left in the manner that he did. Uh, certainly, considering it'd been twenty years, you know that's the kind of thing you think would be celebrated. Um, but um, whether the these accusations or any others uh, play a part in that, he's he's quiet leaving of the company. Uh, who knows? Um, Volatile people. Volatile people don't tend to do well because at some point they're just going to go too far. And I think it's one of those cases where they're like, we we physically can't keep you on. Here's some money. Here's an NDA. Sign it by all parties. And then everybody just kind of moves on. It really, it feels a lot like that is yeah. what went down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one that I know is piquing the interest of nerds everywhere and uh, more than uh, more than a few co-hosts in this program. Uh, Square Enix is finally going to avail Marvel's Avengers at E3. So that's one of my fucking predictions that I was getting ready for the Predictacular next week. Uh, completely off the board. We are finally going to see what that game looks like. Um, it's been like nearly three years, I think, since the since the announcement of this game. I think it was like PSX. Yes, yeah, like yeah, it would be it would be three years ago this Christmas. Um so like I wonder will this be another kind of will this be kinda of like a watchdogs in that it will be announced as coming out. It will probably be for the next console, but they're not gonna say that because the consoles haven't been announced yet. Or will it be a case where much like the surprise of Death Stranding, you're like, no, the motherfucker's out in like six months or whatever. Um I don't know. I really hope, again, kind of related to our last point on trying to finish those games, I really hope for our sakes it's not a 2019 game. Um, but, uh, Jack, excited? Yeah, very excited. It'd be interesting to see like who the protagonist of the game is, how many Avengers you actually... whether you get to be them, what the story is, um, like... Is the big bad just going to go down the movie route and be Thanos? Like, there's so 
little information at the moment that the the speculation is nothing but reckless but i'd be very excited to play if it's anything anywhere near as fun as marvel's spider-man was last year then i'm 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 hyped for it and it'd be cool if they could find a way to tie those sort of two things together but i don't know how likely that is but who knows Uh, yeah the the cynic in me is thinking that just because of the the property that they have and the the wide array of characters that they have to work with this could so easily be some games as a live service slash destiny thing that you know you can just have a roadmap for the next five years of content you can pile into that um that that's my biggest concern and though we can't have the prediction that this thing will be showing up at e3 i'm i'm making a prediction that this is going to be a games as a live service type game i hope not that the 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 optimist in me hopes that it's kind of similar to like a final fantasy style thing where you get various uh members of the avengers in your party and that maybe you are an avenger for the whole game or you it kind of rotates around so one of the little bit of details that seems to have leaked out and that i've seen in a lot of places is that the game um will have a completely offline um single player campaign uh, but can also there's also a version of the story mode that can be played by up to four different people co-op. Wow, interesting. I mean, you have um, to do something co-op. I mean, it's the fucking Avengers. Like, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to do that. Um, yeah. The only thing that gives me, a <laughs> I hope, there, I hope there's a button that makes everybody like stand back to back as the camera swoops around. But I mean, the only thing that gives me hope is it is Crystal Dynamics, and I mean, you, uh, Dave, more than any anyone here can can attest to the the work that they've done. Um, Brought Tomb Raider back from the dead, son. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, there's a chance that this can be good. There's a chance that this can be very, very good. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where like so much money is riding on it that it had, for Square's sake, it had fucking better be. <laughs> um, because this is, I imagine, this is a very lucrative deal that they don't want to fuck up in the way that say EA nearly jeopardized the Star Wars deal. Um, but yeah, enough about that before we. Yeah, start. Although, and as they well, still have it as well, don't they? Yeah. They still have that property. And didn't yeah. was it? I'm trying to think. Square Enix was released last year. The only thing that comes to mind was uh, uh, the Quiet Man. Is the only thing from last year that I can remember specifically. <laughs> so they could do with hitting something out of the, the park this time look, this year. Look, oh, they have look, the third. They have the third Tomb Raider game. Square Enix has got a proud history of excellent games. They do, but last year they released the Quiet Man. That's true. Yeah, but they also released that third Tomb Raider game last year. Yeah, um, which no one really, I think, paid too much attention to in the grand scheme of things. I mean, it doesn't mean it wasn't good. Like, it was pretty good. Um, but uh, moving on, anyway, this is, uh, this is we're in Mark Robinson corner now, Super Mario Maker 2. Um, there is uh, a little bit of kind of discontent brewing amongst the, the eager Nintendo fans as uh, Nintendo kind of confirmed there will be no costumes like there were in the first Super Mario Maker and uh, online matchmaking is a bit fucked, Mark. Yeah, so the, the costumes thing I'm not as fussed about. Uh, but So, I mean, online player, 
online multiplayer does exist. You can play with, with randoms, but it's the idea that you won't be able to do this uh, with any of your friends. Um, the, the thing going around is that uh, this is to ensure that you know course leaderboards are not completely dominated by teams working together. Um, but that you you would think that you could simply just have uh, a version where if you're playing with anyone else you that you know, then your points are not calculated towards that, uh, or or something or separate leaderboard or whatever. Um, you know, there it seems like it's it's a a, a, a solution to uh, a problem that shouldn't exist. Um, and it seems like the most extreme, just like, fuck it, we'll just rip it out. So, I mean, I'm going to hold out hope. It seems like the kind of thing that can easily be uh, fixed or, um, you know, added at a later date. So, um, and if the, the feedback and the the suggestions and, and whatever from the community are loud enough, I'm sure Nintendo will hear this and it will be something that will be implemented. So Yeah, they've, they've gotten much better at that kind of course correcting um this generation yeah um, and it's it's really it's not and considering the kind of game it's not something that you've, if you implement it it in any way affects the kind of core design of the game so it will be in at some point so i'm not too mm-hmm. worried about this uh i feel in our next story like we already have konami corner on this show as a feature about konami's ineptitude i feel like we need to start like a randy road uh feature as well for just like dig the fuck up Randy Pitchford for fuck's sake it feels like every week there's a new thing he's done uh, bringing new shithousery to his impressive shithousery CV Uh, President and CEO of Gearbox Randy Pitchford added to the already substantial controversy surrounding himself when he quote tweeted a video of a kitten crying in pain after being pinched by a large crab Gearbox is the studio behind the upcoming Borderlands 3 game, but Pitchford seems to have attracted attention for everything except his company's latest game recently. He decided to share the video, which was originally posted on a suspender Twitter, Twitter account called The Daily Kitten, and didn't take long for people to voice their objections. Uh, I'm not going to kind of go much further into this, but you've got, you've got the gist of the story. Now, Mark, whereas I, in the grand scheme of, like, stories about potential pedophilia or assaulting a man in a hotel um i'm not sure how retweeting this video as horrendous as the video is uh stacks up against that but um jesus christ is there any way this doesn't end with gearbox just paying like randy off a substantial amount of money just to or it's take two or their parent company isn't it yeah uh, paying up a substantial amount of money to just disappear i mean it's it's definitely lower down on the the chain but as we get it's near, quite the chain it is that's the thing the the chain is pretty fucking significant and uh as we get closer to the release of borderlands 3 i i fear that that game comes out and gets a because uh, I fully expect Borderlands 3 will just be a, yeah, it's kind of more of the same sort of response. And we'll but get... to be fair, for a lot of the people I know that love Borderlands, that's kind of what they want. Yeah, which is totally fine. But from the you, the, the, the actual kind of games press and media out there, um, I'm expecting them to be like, yeah, kind of 7 out of 10, it's fine. They're kind of Fallout 4 reception, except not as broken, hopefully. And I can see Randy Jass going off on one uh, in a way that for anyone else would probably get them fired immediately uh, or at least you know someone's I mean someone somewhere surely has had to have had a conversation with Randy Pitchford at Gearbox or Take-Two and like mate just 
get off Twitter. Because if Randy got off Twitter, about half of these issues would be resolved now. Uh, that doesn't excuse the other half of issues that he is currently or had to deal with. Um, but I'm just... Uh, week by week, I'm wondering what story I'm going to be posting to our production notes. Because he he's consistent, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, consistently a maniac. Jack... Uh, what are your takes on the, the trials and tribulations of uh, one Randall Pitchford? I mean, it you can't write some of the things that have happened to him this year. Like it's just a caricature of himself. Um, I'm I, I'm loving Jim Sterling's ongoing updates and videos about all it's things like, Pitchford. It's like the biggest victory lap you've ever seen because there was a man who was burying Randy Pitchford deep beneath the earth long before anybody else. Yeah. I mean, Jim can go in pretty hard on people sometimes, and I mean, people do deserve calling out and stuff, and he, he does it kind of in a weird, passive-aggressive way sometimes that might not be to everyone's taste, but when it comes to Pitchford, there's just, there's a level of really I fucking can't stand this human being, and I want to make sure everybody knows how much of a dickhead he is, and it, it's just, yeah... It's very, very funny. Um, and yeah, honestly, kind of, as long as he's not hurting people, want him to keep doing ridiculous things just so I can absorb all of the Pitchford-based content out there. Uh, yeah, he is a one-man Konami corner, and we are going to have to think about adding his name to the award if he carries on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, Jesus, what more is there to be said about that man? Um, Iron May. <laughs> this is something like our final story of the week. Iron Maiden is suing Ion Maiden for $2 million. Heavy metal band Iron Maiden has launched legal action against game developer 3D Realms. Um, publisher of retro first-person shooter Ion Maiden. Lawyers for legendary British band want $2 million to attempt to trade off Iron Maiden's no- no- notoriety. Um, I don't know where to start with this one, Mark. <laughs> You found this. So I, I found this mainly because uh, now, obviously, I, I do love Iron Maiden, but um, real kind of friend of the show here or fan and co-host of the show now, Jack Lazell, uh, who I think you still have a copy of Ed Hunter somewhere in your bedroom, right? Uh, yeah, I've got it somewhere. I, I very much doubt there's anything I could play it on now, but I do have that. Probably not, no. Uh, I, I wanted to go to Jack for this one because, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw this, and it just might as well have said Jack Lazell content <laughs> next to it on the on the document that we use to to pick out things. It's just not very cool, is it? Um, this happens a lot, and I think like Radiohead maybe six months ago sued sued someone for taking like a passage from one of their songs or whatever, and that that's fair enough, uh, but. I very much doubt that, like, I don't know, Nico McBrain, you know, nearly 70-year-old drummer of Iron Maiden, is really pissed off about some guys who've named a video game Iron Maiden. It's probably just a holdings company which is trying to protect its trademark. I mean, I did a little bit of research into it, and, like, the main character's called, like, Sherry Harrison, and, you know, Iron Maiden founder is Steve Harris, and the font is pretty similar though just different enough to put like an element of doubt in your mind and it it's similar to ed hunter the game and it it, i don't know if 
I don't know if there's a lot that really needs to be said other than it's just tragically uncool for a, a heavy metal band that are all about their fans, etc., etc. They'll be going after like a small indie game which isn't even properly out yet it, it well it's not like excessive. it's it's not like a, a metal band to, to go after some portion of the industry to claim that hey well you owe us money even though you know they've made their millions this has never happened before in like the late 90s uh with, <laughs> you know never never happened before yeah i i thoroughly recommend uh, a documentary called downloaded i think it was um it's made by alex winter who is uh bill from bill and ted obviously alongside the great keanu he made about the whole napster incident and metallica's involvement of actually showing up it was literally lars showing up outside their headquarters of napster with a list of people like that that won't be topped for being tragically uncool uh i very much doubt this is any member of iron maiden's decision or that maybe if they're even aware this is going on it just it it, it feels like the the holdings company and some lawyers have, have got hold of something here and if anything i'd imagine iron maiden are really fucking pleased about this because it is getting them an awful lot of publicity it's funny that these companies that sue other companies for copyright infringement or trademark etc etc often end up bringing more attention to the thing that they're trying to get removed and putting it in the eye of the public. And the people who are being sued a lot of the time must absolutely love it because more people are paying attention to them and have heard about this. I would never have heard about this game. None of us probably ever would. It would have gone on Steam and sold like a few thousand copies and disappeared forever. Whereas now they've got like a band which has sold over a hundred million worldwide records suing them. And then all of a sudden they're all over the news. So thumbs up for them. This is good PR, even if it's going to cost them the name of their game. I I think that, you know, the whole reason this is simply happening is that um, (laughs) like, if you want, you can make the argument about whether there is a legit case here or whatnot, but I imagine that the the key thing is like the, the precedent being set that if they don't, um make this case that someone else can look at this and say well you didn't uh sue them for doing that thing that's kind of like your image and properties so you know why are you coming for us when we are doing something that is kind of similar uh so yeah I, I i do think that that plays a large portion of this and yeah i can't imagine for the life of me that um steve harris really gives much of a piss about this but maybe he does yeah i I think there's a, an example as well in the past of a guy called Jason Rubin who actually he uh, worked for Naughty Dog and he was involved in Jack and Daxter and Crash and everything. He came out with a comic book called Iron and the Maiden uh, and the same thing happened. Iron Maiden's parent holdings company or whatever, like which is like a subsidiary of Sanctuary, which is a, a subsidiary of Sony, BMG, etc., etc., and he had to change the name of his comic book from Iron and the Maiden to the Iron Saint. So there is, you know, previous of this happening. So I guess based on the precedent of them having to change that, then Iron Maiden could be in a lot of trouble here. But, you know, guys, just not cool. Yeah. I think that that that's not cool is as uh, succinctly as we're going to get it. But uh, before we go into the book club for this week, we've got uh, one last bit of business, and that is the release date roundup. In it came up. In it 
Jack, Pokemon expert, noted Pokemaniac. Four new Pokemon games and apps announced. Yes. Oh my goodness me. Yeah. The, the, the sleep tracker thing looks very bizarre and interesting. Uh, and, the, and the one screenshot of just the Pokemon Go sort of virtual world of just multiple Snorlaxes lying all over the place. Very, very odd. Yeah, what what do you take on this, Mark? Because this is something like I'd kind of seen the sleep tracker app, and I was like, "Huh?" And then mostly the only thing I've seen is like memes about sleeping and Pokemon. I don't know what the fuck the the sleep tracker thing is, and I I don't have a lot on that. Um, the the main thing um, that I took from this is the the announcement of Pokemon Bank. Um, and I can't remember if I saw that it's a uh, this app for switching. Yeah, the Pokemon Bank is something that can uh, communicate between your phone and the Switch. Um, so I'm curious to see how that will communicate with the yeah. 3DS in terms of moving anything over. Um, so because... it's Pokemon. It's called Pokemon Home, Mark. And basically, what what it is is you can one way you can move from your 3ds anything that's in pokemon bank so i think you can go technically you can now move things from the third generation all the way up to this but only one way you can't transfer backwards pokemon go the same thing you can transfer things one way uh and also the pokemon let's go pikachu and eevee will transfer one way into pokemon home but we've got two two-way transfers obviously back and forth to sword and uh shield so it's basically the old school thing of you know you're upgrading your pokemon to a new generation but yeah it's crazy that something you can walk down your street and catch you can have as a pokemon in sword and shield and something you caught you know on pokemon ruby in like 2001 you can <laughs> you can play with that as well on your switch so yeah it's pretty cool i mean it's it's been fascinating since generation three because uh, obviously you know there was just that stopgap between generation two and generation three um that it would have been a, a kind of a beautiful thing if you had a pikachu that you caught in the original uh pokemon red that you'd be able to get up to this point but even still going from generation three up to this point that you can get those pokemon across now there are that exchange to get it from there to from point a to point z at this point is pretty convoluted uh but it's cool and it, it's awesome and it's those little kind of attention details that attention to detail um that pokemon does uh, that i think is a, is a wonderful thing and um it's that kind of stuff where i see uh the big gaming companies that aren't dedicated to uh the mobile gaming space where they're going to make the get the most utility from that kind of stuff uh, and I think that something like Pokemon, you know, there's so much that they, they can do with apps um, that, you know, doesn't have to be specifically actually, uh, you know, gameplay related. Uh, but whether it's, you know, looking up the Pokemon that they have in their current party and if they just want to look at, you know, what moves they know or um, if they want to see... Uh, if they wanted to have, like, an actual kind of uh, Pokedex that is connected to... 
uh, sword and shield and that gets updated you know as you're playing the game so as you're on the fly you can kind of check and see like oh do I have this Pokemon or if I want to read up the Pokedex for a particular Pokemon that I've caught you know th there is a lot of stuff they could do uh, if they wanted to in that area hmm. I think uh, with the release date roundup out of the way we should move on to our book club uh, and we are talking a uh, what feels like you could call a cult hit because I think about half of the people in the world that own the Wii U are on this Skype call right now. Um, it's Splatoon. Let's talk about it. Splatoon is a third-person shooter video game developed and published by Nintendo for the Wii U, which released worldwide in May 2015. The game centers around characters known as Inklings, anthropomorphic squid that can transform between humanoid and cephalopod forms, and hide or swim through colored ink sprayed on surfaces using gun, bucket, roller, or brush-like weapons. Splatoon features several game modes, including 4-on-4 online multiplayer and a single-player campaign. A wordy introduction out of the way, gentlemen, that is for sure. Splatoon uh, has always been a very interesting game to me, and one that I remember one of the podcasts that reviewed it at the time said it like, it's an incredible thing. It just shows like uh, the metaphorical dick Nintendo slapped on the table where they're just like, hey, multiplayer online shooter. Let's try one of those and make it better than most of the rest of them. Um, the the first man I know of that uh, was an evangelist for Splatoon is on the line now, and that's Mark Robinson. Hi, how's it going? How you Mark, doing? was Splatoon, when you saw Splatoon, was this an immediate, oh, hello, or yeah. was it a word-of-mouth thing for you? So there was a couple of things about Splatoon uh, with its initial announcement uh, that had me just so curious to what it was. First of all, it was... For what I remember, the, the first time in a long time where we had Nintendo kind of throwing out this original IP, like a very big project uh, original IP. Because um, the, the Wii U, you know, the Wii U, for all of its flaws, and one of them being that no one bought it, has a pretty banging back catalogue of games. And, mm. you know, all the, the big hitters are on there for the most part. Um, and you can make the, the critique... Uh, that, oh yeah, you know, you get a new Nintendo console and sure, we're going to get a Mario game and we're going to get a Zelda game and at some point we'll get a Metroid game in whatever fucking form that takes. And you do kind of wait and see, it's like, okay, well, like, what new original thing are we going to get? Um, and the the original Wii, it didn't really have much in terms of, like, the, 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 the real kind of original pieces that came for that were stuff like you know just Wii Sports and anything to do with actually like hey here's this kind of weird controller and here's how to use this kind of the space around you um, and and you know it's just a different way of playing uh, but in terms of kind of like the big original uh, new kind of Nintendo IP it didn't really happen so Splatoon was that for the Wii U 
And as you said, it's like, hey, kind of, you know, online multiplayer shooter. When you think of Nintendo, you don't really think that that is an area that they can do because, um, and we were certainly at this point very much in the, uh, the just the zeitgeist of, of online multiplayer shooter that, you know, we started with uh, Halo back in the, the early 2000s and evolved to of Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which I don't even know what do we what do we call Modern Warfare at this point, considering there's a Modern Warfare Modern Warfare remastered and a new Modern Warfare, but there's a conversation for another day. And and Nintendo was just like Okay, well, you know, obviously we're not gonna have something with uh, extreme violence and headshots and whatever else. So let's just completely turn the concept of of uh, team based combat with guns on its head and let's have it where the the kind of sole principle of the game isn't about actually you know shooting and firing at your opponents it is based on covering uh, an area with as much paint as possible uh, and you know at the end of the level you have something that looks like out of a kind of children's game show where you know someone gets covered in guns or paint or whatever kind of substance you want to describe um, and the the team that have the most of that area covered at the end wins and it's such a beautifully simple concept in a way that Nintendo do, where they take such a simple concept and they kind of blow it up to this grand scale. And it just f fucking works. Um, and it worked in the original, and then, you know, obviously they brought it to the Switch and they just expanded on that idea. And, uh, you know, it it's one of those things that it does exactly what it says on the tin, and it does it so well. Yeah, I was somebody who came to it a bit late. I think it might have been as late as you already living here uh, the following year. I was like, all right, okay, I guess I'll play this and quite liked it. Um, whereas I think, like, I, one thing I will say that you kind of touch on there, like the some of the controls in it, it it's probably the best implementation of gyroscopic controls I have ever enjoyed um because i i normally like the six axis gimmicky shit with the ps3 hated it hated it hated it hated it hated it a lot of the i'm using motion controls on the wii u and the switch don't care for um there's something about the controls in switch the gyroscopic controls that just feels so intuitive um and it's just it's real simple and i think that's kind of one of the things that's so great about splatoon is that as kind of cool and funky as a lot of the aesthetics of Splatoon are, like, under the hood, it's a very simple idea. Yeah, and I completely kind of forget about, because obviously I've been playing it on, on the Switch, and when I play it on the Switch, I'm just using um, the the Pro Controller, but definitely playing the, the original version and the way that you use the, uh, the Wii U pad itself... At first, it does kind of feel a little bit clunky and a little bit awkward, and like it doesn't feel natural. But it is one of those things that, after a while, it just it does kind of make sense, and you do think that no, this is the way that this game should be designed with this in mind, and how that you can look around the screen with the gyroscopic gyroscopic controls uh, instead of the, the kind of traditional uh, twin stick shooter approach. Uh, Jack, what about you with Splatoon? What was your, your jump-on point or the, the point at which uh, Splatoon came across your uh, your horizon? 
Yeah, similarly didn't pick it up like right after it came out, but got it for the Wii U um, when it was on discount. And I mean, Mark's already mentioned the, the the sort of gunge thing, but like immediately just sitting down to play it, I was just like images of Dave Benson Phillips came to my head of like covering celebrities and gunk and, and gunge and like luminous colors. It just looks so cool like it's it's a real breath of fresh air like mark's already mentioned modern warfare and and kind of the shooter genres in general and at that point they become very self-serious everything was kind of a gray brown sludge it was either like a futuristic military shooter with everything made out of metallic stuff or it was like a gritty world war ii thing and along comes this game where you are like basically either a squid or a kid and you're firing colorful jets of ink across a level and trying to get a higher percentage than the other team. It's just such a simplistic breath of fucking fresh air on a genre that had really needed something like this to come along. And like you said as well, Dave, at the start, it's just Nintendo just come along and going, ah, yeah, first person shooter, we'll have a go at that. And they've nailed it. And it, it's something that is fully joyful, not only to watch someone play, but play yourself. And yeah, I Splatoon, I just remember the first time sitting down to play it. Aside from maybe awkward connections, trying to actually get a multiplayer match together, just when I finally got into a room and started playing it with people, it was just an absolute blast. Uh Mark, I think the one of the the winningest things about it, apart from as we said, like the the gameplay is so good, the the aesthetics of this game and like the little kind of inkling language writing and the the soundtrack, all oh, the soundtrack in Splatoon and Splatoon Two just absolutely rips. Uh, a lot of the kind of the the Nintendo sheen is very present in this game, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's it's Japanese as fuck, let's be honest. Um, but it's the cool, chic type of, of Japanese. Uh, and everything from the, the visual aesthetic, definitely to the music, which is just this fucking bizarre mishmash of funk and pop and at times rock and just wailing guitars. And it... It should it, it should make no sense and it shouldn't work, um, but it does in that way that Nintendo do, uh, and it is just it's a fucking mess at points. Um, but it all comes together, and it's that kind of thing where, you know, Nintendo have been um, behind in terms of uh, graphical fidelity for for the longest time against Microsoft and Sony, but they have such a strong idea of art direction that some of the most beautiful games that have come out in, in the last 15 years, 20 years or so, um, have been on the machines that have been lesser powered because they just have such strong art direction. And the way that they usually work with this is just through just very kind of bright and bold, simple colours. Uh, and in a game like uh, Splatoon, where you can take this um, not you know massively intricately detailed arena, but you can just start throwing paint at everything, and then you know you can see a part of the wall that you can jump into when you transform into a uh, squid um, to then kind of traverse up to a higher point. You know. Um, that whole thing just comes together in a really kind of organic way uh, and it just looks beautiful uh, and you know obviously that they uh refined and improved in this with with uh splatoon 2 um 
and it's one of those things that kind of mentioning there about like the way you kind of traverse around that that makes it feel so different to any other kind of game and certainly when you think of um one of the big things that was uh with the likes of uh titanfall and advanced warfare with you know uh these kind of either jetpacks or you know ways to kind of boost the platforms and splatoon has its own kind of very elegant system for that which is just you know if you are in your patch of, of ink, you can turn into a squid and you can start basically sw swimming around in uh, the, the ink. And that, A, kind of works as a stealth mechanic to kind of, you know, ambush someone who's running towards you. It also works in terms of uh, it lets you recharge your ink, but also it lets you get to higher platforms. Uh, you know, if that wall that you can paint onto, you can then suddenly get up it and climb to a higher area. Uh, and mm. yeah, oh, love it. Love it. Um, one of the things that um, a lot of multiplayer shooters struggle with is the idea of uh, kind of keeping that player base engaged over a long period of time, keep them coming back. And one of the things Splatoon does to ensure that, apart from regular drops of content like new weapons, which is something that they've the trend has continued in, in Splatoon yeah. 2, uh, is the content the the concept of a splatfest, Mark? Uh, Mark, have you ever done a splatfest? Uh, no, I did not in the original Splatoon. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, what about you, Jack? I didn't actually get round to one. No, um, I didn't really engage in the sort of uh, online community element of Splatoon until kind of Splatoon two when they would have the the weekly tournaments or mm. or the or, or the questions that you would answer. Uh, coming up in the speech bubbles and stuff. Yeah, so Splatfests at their core and, and the way they've evolved into now, um, I'll kind of talk about the concept of the Splatfest as a whole as it carries over the two games, is that once a month there will be this uh, question that is put to the Splatoon community that will divide them in half. Um, and it is based on your answer to that question that you will be assigned for the period of Splatfest into one colored team or the other okay and that's you will a splatfest then i have done that <laughs> yeah so that is if you did not realize that was what it was called yeah yeah so it, it's when you're asked like some of the questions i've seen are do you prefer ketchup or mustard yeah. uh do you prefer or which came first the chicken or the egg was one uh overhang or underhang toilet paper all that kind of like you know kind of silly kind Overhang. of medically divisive <laughs> stuff um and then the way you answer the question puts you onto a team for the period of the Splatfest. And obviously you get the standard, um, like any shooter having a timed event, is that you get bonus XP for competing in um, m online matches during the period of the Splatfest. But by kind of ranking up and engaging, getting past a certain points threshold, uh, you you get kind of like a limited edition T representing the... Uh, representing the team you fought in and you can get like there there usually be some gear rolled out around then and like i said the bonus xp so just a cool little simple silly thing that doesn't feel like hey come here spend some money kid um it's just kind of oh here's a dumb thing do you want to go like um shoot around as team mustard for uh, a weekend uh, and they usually time it pretty well, like rather than have it as like a whole week and you're like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to find time to do this. They'll usually do it. I think it's like a Friday to a Monday. 
Um, so you'll you'll find some time over your weekend to sit back and one of the things that will help you at a Splatfest or indeed any kind of Splatoon uh, mark and this is something you can definitely identify with uh, the the way the rounds are structured and with how brief the, the actual matches are it's a very Moorish game yeah absolutely um, it's by the time you've started a round you know but by the time you finish one they're just so kind of short and condensed um, and the the tide can turn so quickly unless you're just against a team that are ridiculously overpowered uh, or over talented. Um, you can lose by just a couple of percent. That it's just the kind of thing that leaves you, you want to go back into another game. And the turnaround between games is is pretty quick. Um, and you know you you may play one game and. Um, or have played a couple of games and was using a particular weapon and then just decide, you know what, this isn't doing for me. I want to go on a more kind of offensive front, so I'm going to change the weapon that I use. And that's one of the other things that I, I enjoy about Splatoon is that, and certainly Splatoon 2, the, 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 the variety of the arsenal that you can use and the, the side weapons that you can use uh, is just so massive. And, you know, you think of the game when it first come out and you're just like okay i'm just gonna go around i'm just gonna shoot a gun at this wall and paint it um but i mean for me i my my true bread and butter like i pretty much stick to the giant paint roller um because you just kind of run around yes. like a tank and just wipe over anyone that's in your path that and... is <laughs> that is so me as well i yeah. love the paint roller there's a very satisfying plap as well off it yeah now yeah. obviously if you have anyone who's good from a long range you're kind of fucked but um, my approach to playing Splatoon for the most part is I tend to just kind of, I'll usually come from the back or from the side and try and go for the ambush or uh, or try and kind of like hide stealthily in the ink and when someone's coming by just kind of jump in the air and kind of you know hit them with the, the, the roller kind of square on the head. Um, but yeah, there are so many different weapons in this. Like, do you want to actually be more offensive in terms of attacking the opponent? Do you want to just kind of focus on getting a wide coverage with actually uh, spreading paint? Uh, and that's that's something I really like it as well. And you can base a team around it if you're playing with your friends to try and you know cover as you would in like an Overwatch where you have like you know a healer and whatever else. It's kind of the sim the same thing applies in in Splatoon. Healing paint. Uh, Mark, as the leading Splatoon evangelist here on the program, I'm going to shoot to you for an elevator pitch. Uh, Splatoon was uh, Nintendo uh, deciding to join the, uh, you know, saying, hey, here's our answer, answer to Quake, basically, um, and doing it in the most Nintendo, peak Nintendo way. Um, that is, you know, enjoyable if you are a seven-year-old or enjoyable if you're a 35-year-old. Um, it has a level of depth to it that you get taken back, taken aback uh, first. Um, it has just a style of its own, an aesthetic of its own, and it's a game that you can play for 100 hours straight and not get sick of it. And it's a game that you can play if you haven't played it in six months and just jump right back in into multiplayer and, and not miss a beat. Um, I will say the, the story campaign is kind of the weak point of both games. I think they did improve it a little mm. bit with the second one. But you know, yeah, the it's Octo expansion is a bit more effort uh, in Splatoon 2, but still, yeah, not really that much. But yeah, Splatoon, it's just it's a good time. And... Uh, God, God bless the Wii U. Yeah. 
Uh, that's going to do it for episode 142 of Link to the Cast. Uh, we're kind of at the stage where we're very ad hoc of what the book club is next week, so we're not going to announce what that's going to be, because, uh, especially because next week's episode will be the annual E3 Predictacular, uh, where the three of us are going to get our heads together and make some crystal ball type predictions. Uh, and we'll gamify it again this year and see who is the ultimate uh, Nostradamus of the crew here. Um, but... That being said, this is the end of episode 142 of Link to the Cast. Uh, check us out at Link to the Cast on Twitter, linktothecast.wordpress.com is the website where we post everything. Social media, the best place to keep up with our content as we post is facebook.com forward slash Link to the Cast and at Link to the Cast on Twitter. Uh, we have a couple of podcasts under our umbrella here. The Grap Up, our once in a while pro wrestling podcast, um, where it feels like at some stage during the summer we probably should do one of these. More on that as it rolls on. Uh, the Loch Ness Monster of podcast that is the Popcorn Social. Some say they've seen it. Some say it's only a myth. Myself and Jack, a movie podcast that we're nominally supposed to do semi-regularly but haven't done in quite some time. Um, then we have a couple of uh, sister podcasts that aren't quite under the Link to the Cast banner, but are uh, presented by members of this program. Uh, and I will give you the office first, Mr. Robinson. Uh, so uh, you may know it as the, the honor roll. I'm actually, it's, it's going to become a, an all-inclusive, all-elite wrestling podcast. Because, uh, you know, that's, that's where all the money is these days. No, it's the Ring of Honor uh, podcast, the honor roll at Voices of Wrestling uh, each week or every other week if I'm doubling up on the television uh i take a look at what's going on in the world of ring of honor um though unfortunately uh yeah there there are other wrestling companies that are a little bit more in the news at the moment but they did announce jeff cobb versus matt taven for best of the world so hopefully the goal Save is coming big cobb come Save on jeffrey, jeffrey. <laughs> come on big jeffrey. i love that you jumped on the roh bandwagon when it looks like just going hey I, I never jumped on the bandwagon i've always been a ring of honor fan I uh, know. I just love that you'd like start a podcast when it really looks like they're at the most threatened they've ever been in the history <laughs> of the company. <laughs> oh dear. Um, then speaking of uh, companies that were threatened, I, I mean nothing compared to you, though. Yeah, I mean this is an effort. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I have a podcast called Days of Thunder where myself and friend of the show Lee Malone every two weeks take a look at WCW Thunder a new episode of that Uh, the the B show from World Championship Wrestling it is starting to get to be a struggle ladies and gentlemen we just posted an episode today as we're recording this uh, talking the post Super Brawl episode of Thunder Thunder episode 8 so check that out over at prowrestlingonly.com or we tend to retweet it in the link to the cast feed at WCW Thunder pod on Twitter is your best one-stop shop for that anyway for link to the cast for another week for myself for mark robinson for jack lazell we shall see you next week as we talk e3 i need a podcast